Edutainment Learning is powered by Academica Virtual Education and Collegia TV. For more information, visit www.edutainmentlearning.com. I got into voice coaching because I was obsessed with singing. And all I ever wanted to do was sing. And I finally convinced my parents when I was 13 years old to allow me to get voice lessons. And they brought me to this teacher that was super famous based on the fact that he had already had all the most famous singers. And he took me on at 13 and a half. And twice a week, I would go and take voice lessons. And I stayed with him. And at 16 and a half, he left the country not for any illegal tax purposes, but just left the country to teach a master class in Canada. And he didn't have anybody to take over the studio. And again, I'm 16 and a half, he's like 55. And he says, hey, Roger, do you wanna come over after school on Monday and maybe teach some students? I said, oh, thank you so much, because thank you is always nice to say. Thank you so much. I only see one problem with that. I don't have any idea how to be a teacher. I'm just trying to be a student. He says, oh, don't let that stop you. I'll pay you $100 an hour. I said, I'll be there with business cards. So on Monday after school, I wasn't even driving really. I, I remember my mother had to drive me to my first being a voice teacher appointment. And my first student was Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. And then the Jacksons and Earth, Wind and & Fire and Stevie Wonder and all these amazing singers. So I was literally thrown in and I just started every lesson this way because I really didn't know much more. I said, tell me what's, what problems you're having with your voice. And then they would tell me and the rest was an adventure. Six months later, when he came back from Canada, every single one of his celebrities decided that they wanted to stay with me because we found we had an, an ability to I had an ability to listen to the way that people at that time sing and then make it better. So I taught singing for 17 years and then speakers started coming to me like Anthony Robbins and, and actors and, and, and they asked me if I'd work on their speaking voices. And in the beginning I said, no, I would say nice hair, but I would say, no, I'm a, I'm a singing coach. And then eventually they would just keep knocking and I said, yes, and that changed my life because then I started working with singers and speakers and that has led me to where? we are today that i mean you've had a phenomenal career i feel like they should make a movie out of your life just it's just like who's who of everybody who's influential in entertainment uh anywhere do you mind if we jump straight into some student questions please all right this is blanca and blanca is out of spain blanca had a very good question uh go ahead you can unmute to ask your question friend um hi i'm blanca and I would like to know, um, who is the most famous person you know? Today, you are the most <laughs> famous person I know from Spain. But other than you, I've worked with lots of famous people. I, I was the one that taught Bradley Cooper to sing for the movie A Star is Born. I just finished eight months working with Joaquin Phoenix and Lady Gaga on a new movie for Warner Brothers called Joker 2. So... I teach Brad Pitt and uh, Angelina Jolie and Kira Knightley and, and Reese Witherspoon. So there's, there's lots of fun people that I get to work with. 
So, uh, you know, it's just, again, it's a who's who. It's absolutely incredible that the stuff that you've been able to do. And you essentially, you kind of created your own industry where you pivoted from music to just entertainment as a whole. Um, one of our kids wanted to know, are there daily exercises you recommend to keep your voice in top shape? Absolutely. First of all, what's unique about me is I was a singing teacher, as I mentioned. And then when I decided I was going to work also on the speaking voice, I set out to basically figure out what the differences were between singing and speaking, because I'd gotten really good at teaching singers how to open up their mouths and move people emotionally. And I figured there must be some new techniques that I would have to create to work with speakers. But the truth is, is I found that singing and speaking is basically the same thing, that you have control over five variables, pitch, how high or low you speak, melody, does your melody go up? Does your melody go down? Is it just the same note? Volume, tone, are you airy or edgy? Pitch and pace, how fast or slow you go. So everything that I'd actually been working with singers on, pitch, pace, tone, melody, and volume, I started working on with singers. And then I didn't have to actually create anything from new because I'd already created all the techniques for the singers. And then I just had to figure out how to deal with all of the different subjects and all the different personalities of speaking. But I'll tell you that when I was a, a singing coach, I used to think that my goal was to teach people to have great voices. But when I became a speaking coach as well, I realized that my goal was to use voice to help make great people. And that, that you're not born with the speaking voice that you, that you think you were born with. You were born with an instrument. And if you don't like it, it's probably because you never trained the instrument. So I give vocal exercises. I have people doing stuff like this. Go, 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 go. Ma, 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 ma. No, 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 no. All kinds of exercises that literally train the voice like it was any other instrument, like a piano. So yeah, I do daily warm-ups. All my students do daily warm-ups. That's wonderful advice. I know we have a lot of musicians here on today's call. So again, I hope everyone is doing wonderful and thank you for joining us. We have a, another student emailed and they wanted to know, um, what are some common mistakes people make when trying to improve their singing voice? They think that there's only two voices. Most people think that there's a voice down low, I call it chest voice, and there's a voice up high called head voice. But when they try to go back and forth between chest and head voice, this is what happens. And then there's pressure and straining in there. Two eyebrows become one, their stomach becomes tight and they squeeze their buttocks cheeks together, trying to bring their chest voice higher and higher and higher. And eventually the chest voice wears out and then it goes, and it breaks. So when people try to go from chest to head voice, there's a break in between. And that's a big problem that plagues all speakers and singers. Okay, so the problem is, is that they don't know, and this is what I know, is that there's supposed to be another voice that lives in between chest and head called middle, that you're not supposed to go from chest to head. You're supposed to learn how to do middle. That's my specialty. And when you have a middle voice and you make them all connected, it sounds like this. Ah, all connected all the way up and down, no breaks, no pressure, no straining. When I taught singers that there was a middle voice, they were like, oh my 
Lord who knew. And then they didn't have to strain anymore and they could hit all of these notes. They could sing incredibly. When I taught speakers that, they were like, why do I need that, Roger? I'm not a singer. And I say, you need it because all of the range, the lows, the mids, the highs, they all have sounds that are also attached to perceptions and emotions. So when you speak in certain parts of the range in chest voice, you're perceived sometimes stronger and, and, and more intelligent and, and influential. And when you're in middle, you sound exciting and, it's, and you sound cool. And when you're in head voice, there are all these beautiful sounds. So I started training my speakers how to have chest, middle, and head. And it changed the sounds of their voices and it changed the way they could move people emotionally. And I say a great singer and a great speaker is someone who speaks and moves people emotionally and not just to one emotion. Your job as a great singer or speaker isn't just to make people feel happy all the time or sad all the time or serious all the time. Your job is to move them from one emotion to emotion. When you do that, they're so surprised and they're, they're so connected. And the average attention span is about eight to 12 seconds for humans. And you stretch that from eight to 12 seconds to unlimited amount of time if people are being moved emotionally. And it's surprising. That that's is what makes great speakers. Wonderful, wonderful advice. And, and that's good for anyone who doesn't, if, even if you don't want to be a singer, because you're going to need to have some type of oral communication for whatever job you want to do in life. So um, we have a question from, um, this is from Portugal. Uh, Beatrice, you can unmute and you can ask your question. It's a very specific musical question. Go ahead, friend. I love it. Hi. So many musical questions. Hi, it's how can we sound how can our voice sound cleaner while singing your voice will sound cleaner while singing if you do one thing actually two things you're supposed to only sing while your stomach is coming in and most people don't do that most people tighten their stomach or they leave their stomach stationary and they try to sing and their stomach is just not moving and so basically it's hard to get air from the lungs to the vocal cords and that doesn't sound clean or thick or strong or beautiful. What you need to learn is diaphragmatic breathing. You breathe in through your nose, you pretend you have a balloon in your tummy. So when you breathe in, the stomach comes forward a little bit. You're not going to look fat. It's no, <laughs> I promise your tummy comes out just a little bit. And then when you sing, the stomach slowly comes back in and when it comes back in, it sends the right amount of air to the vocal cords and the vocal cords like that. And that helps you create a beautiful, strong, clean, resonant sound. So if you're singing while your stomach is tight, that's when it gets not clean. That's when it gets harsh, harsh sounding, constricted. I could sing or talk like this with my stomach stationary, or I could sing and let the air come out while my stomach is coming in. That's one thing. The other thing is most singers don't open their mouth enough. So they're singing like this and their teeth are kind of closed. Hey, I have lockjaw, but I want to be a singer. I mean, it worked for 50 cent and he didn't open his mouth that much. If anybody knows who that is, but to sing, you really should drop your jaw more. I don't care if your teeth are perfect. It's all fine. Just drop your jaw and then more sound bounces into the cheeks, believe it or not. When you drop your jaw, the sound bounces in the cheeks. When you do like sing like this, sound stops at the teeth and says, hey, can't get out. Where should we go? 
And uh, the, one part of air says to the other, hey, I heard there was a, a nost there were nostrils. Why don't we try to go out that way? And then so it goes out that way and it sounds nasal. But if you drop your jaw, the sound is a nasal. It comes out, bounces in the cheeks and comes out really resonant. That is amazing advice. And, and this might be uh, uh, an off question, but would this be the same advice for speaking as well? Or is this only, okay. Yeah, that's what I Yeah, heard. what happens if I'm talking to you like this? You're like, oh, let me tell you the truth. I'm going to give you all my best stuff right here. And I, and I, I, was, I used to be a ventriloquist. It's not true. So I've gotten used to not dropping my jaw and I don't open my mouth. And it sort of gives you the feeling like I'm hiding things. I like, hey, try this. And you're like, no, that's not good. No, so I drop my jaw and it, it makes me seem more open, more authentic, more connecting. That's that's amazing advice. You guys are getting. I never had any kind of music or communication lessons like this as a kid. This is crazy. So, All of this is for singing and speaking. Everything I've said today is for singing and speaking. So we have a question from Maria. Maria is in Europe. Maria, you can ask your question. You had a good question, friend. Hi. So um, I've been a musician or something like. This, so, uh, but I'm always curious of how do you learn to use twang to improve your your singing, to sing louder. How, I I miss it. How do you do what? I, she wanted to know how do you use twang, or should you use twang to improve your voice in any way? What's twang? Like like a accent. So like, I think she's like, talking about like how when, when you have British singers singing with an American accent and vice versa. So like that... how, how do regionalisms come into singing? Like if, I, like if I'm, uh, you know, from Nashville and I talk like this, or if I'm from the, is that, is that the question? Yes, that I, that's what she was getting at. The, the, the thing what I, that I do is I, I don't just eliminate accents or, or regionalisms randomly and think that everybody should sound the same. I work within the accent of the voice to see what's amazing and what's unique to that to that artist and speaker. So, so I mean, I I I, I coach in multiple languages. I I mean, I've I have just as many. I have singers in Japan, and and I still I wouldn't try to get rid of their Japanese accent. I have singers in in Nashville that are, and I wouldn't try to get rid of their country regionalisms. So what I do is I take the best of who they are, where they are, what they sound like, and I tailor it to, to, to make it great for, for people that, that are listening. So some, some accents get in the way and I tailor them down a little bit. And mostly regionalisms and accents with regard to the speaking voice is I don't go in and just try to make everybody sound English like they're from America because America is not the prettiest language. Come on. Italian is a million times more beautiful. French is a more beautiful. Spanish is beautiful. There's the, their English language is based on diphthongs. So these two vowels are always connected. A, I, O, E, U. It's not, it's not pretty sounds. Italian is ah, eh, e, oh, ooh, and other languages that don't have diphthongs. Those are much more beautiful. I love working with people with other accents and, and uh, other languages because a lot of times it's amazingly more beautiful than English. 
man, you make us American, uh, Americans not sound the best. (laughs) (laughs) American language is, is a conglomerate of a bunch of other things. And it's not really what I call, it's not, doesn't have pure vowels. So it's sort of a, a mishmash. Uh, language. It's not the best language to sing in, actually. It's it, other languages sound much better in singing. And speaking of languages, are you fluent in other languages as well? I've I studied Italian. I was flu- I used to be fluent in Italian. I used to be pretty fluent in Spanish, and I studied uh, uh, to sing in, in in German. And I learned how to uh, read and write Hebrew. Uh, but uh, other than that, no. And most of most of uh, my Italian is mixed with my Spanish now. So where if I'm in Italy, I'm only speaking 50% Italian 50%, and, and vice versa. If I'm, if I'm in, in some places, Spanish speaking country and I'm, they, they don't know what I'm speaking because half of it is Spanish and half of it's Italian. And those of you that know, Italian and Spanish, very close. I, I always think when I'm someplace and I'm mixing my Italian and Spanish and they don't understand, I, I think they're not trying very hard. <laughs> Lahayam. Uh, <laughs> so you had mentioned French and we have a question from Zoe in France. We'll go with two more student questions. I'm gonna let you go. But Zoe, you had an awesome question. Go ahead and unmute to ask your question, friend. All right. I think she might be having technical difficulties. So Zoe wanted to know, uh, do you have any advice uh, so that your voice doesn't crack when you have to hold a concert for almost two hours? Yeah. You have to warm up correctly. Uh, a warm up, most people warm up their voice by singing songs. And that's not warming up unless your songs had perfect control over air and had exactly the right placement of, of chest, middle, and head. So being ready to sing for two hours is a lot about ha- being in condition and practicing the and doing your warm ups so that every part of your voice is really connected so that your chest and middle and head are all connected so there's no pressure. And, and I mean, Pavarotti, for example, with a, I think probably the greatest male tenor opera singer ever, he used to warm up his voice for four hours of doing vocal exercises on days that he had concerts, four hours. When I worked with the Jacksons back in the day, Michael Jackson used to, he knew that Pavarotti was doing it for four hours. So Michael used to warm up his vocal exercises for four hours a day. I used to say, Michael, you don't need to warm up for four hours a day. He was like, Pavarotti's doing it. So it's also about staying in shape. Unfortunately, singers warm up their voice, like I said, singing songs and, and that those songs could strain their voice or they don't warm up their voice every day and they wait till the day before they have a, a concert or performance and their voice is not really in shape. I train my speakers and singers like they were Olympic vocal athletes so that they're always in physically in shape. The vocal cords are in shape. They're not puffy and red and swollen and they're eating what they're supposed to and they're, not, they're drinking what they're supposed to. And they're, the daily exercise they get on their voice makes it really easy to get up and sing for an hour or two hours or however long it is. I mean, when I picked up I did a lot of bands over the years and bands, you know, rock bands and, uh, you know, groups like Poison and Def Leppard and Maroon 5 and all kinds of rock bands. Anyways, and when they they couldn't tour for that long because they would get hoarse. But once those bands worked with me, they could go out for on stand tour for two years at a time and never lose their voice by doing the right exercises. 
That is phenomenal, phenomenal advice. I mean, the science behind this is absolutely fascinating. You're, you're almost like a scientist. You're pretty much a scientist in what you do. I wear more black than white lab coats, though. Yeah, well, you're also stylish. You're a stylish. <laughs> so uh, we have a question from Lola. Lola, you are unmuted. Go ahead and ask your question, friend. Hello. So my question is, do you have any tips for improving vocal stability while also dancing? Really good question. I got to work with people like Madonna and 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 Paula Abdul back in the day and 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 Gwen Stefani is one of my students. So I have a lot of students that sing and dance. Gwen Stefani likes to dance on stage and jump around on heels, platform heels that are, you know, that you, I would fall off. And, and so it's it's there. The interesting thing is part of it is being in great aerobic shape, but also learning to match the two. For example, I used to have Madonna practice her warm-ups and then sing the set while she was on a treadmill jogging. And tr I mean, try to sing happy birthday when you're on a treadmill jogging. You're like, <laughs> happy, but you never get to the cake or the candles, right? So so part of it is being good good in aerobic conditioning and, and also getting used to sing while you're expo uh, expelling so much energy otherwise. But also a lot of people sing with too much air. So sometimes I have to, the way to dance and sing is to learn to sing by not wasting the air coming out of your mouth. Let me explain. So if you're dancing and you're singing like this and you're like, I'm singing and dancing and there's lots of air coming out and I think I'm cool or it sounds kind of sexy or this is my style. I'm singing like this and a lot of singers sing like that. Oh, thinking that air means that you care more. And well, th that style of singing uses up, sends a lot of air out of the body and uses up all the air in the lungs. So I teach singers to sing a little more edgy. They don't have to sing so airy. If they sing a little edgy, having a little more edge instead of more air, then they're not sending out as much air. They're not wasting so much air. So they could do a lot more singing and do a lot more dancing because they're not using so much air because they have a little bit more edge in the voice instead of air in the voice. So I, I figure out the right way so that people are not wasting the air. Also, you have to learn how to be good at diaphragmatic breathing. And most dancers don't like diaphragmatic breathing because they think that that by breathing and letting their tummy come forward, that they're somehow messing up their their uh, the gravity of their turns or the, the 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 line of their body. So dancers are always like stomach in, sort of like shoulders, uh, chest up, shoulders back, but more tight stomach. For, for, uh, for turn ratios and for things like that and, and really into posture, some posture that the, their teachers taught them was very important because I guess in dance class, if you kind of relaxed your shoulders down and you breathe through your tummy, the, they, they weren't saying that that was a good thing. But the truth is, is that you have to learn how to dance and also do diaphragmatic breathing. So that means you can't tighten your stomach and think that you're going to have more air or, or, or good use of the air. You have to learn to dance, but also still let your stomach come out when you breathe and let your stomach come in slowly. And that regulation of the air gives you so much more control and energy. So you're in control over the air. People who breathe like this, <coughs> sorry, there's no control of the air. But when I breathe like this, 
If I want the air to come out slow, all I need to do is bring my stomach in slowly and now it's like I have an accelerator pedal and I've swallowed it, which don't try this at home but with the accelerator pedal. But do try letting your stomach come in slowly while you're singing. You'll be able to go so much longer. You're not wasting the air. I love so it. Fascinating. You you just answered like 20 different student questions all within a couple of minutes. That's my job. I I love Q&A. I love Q&A because it, it keeps me on my game and people are always asking questions I don't know. And then when I come up with the answer, I'm like, oh, that's a good answer. You know, I got to remember that. So I you you were touching on um, preventing vo vocal damage, though, a little bit, right? When you're doing these exercises. Yeah, it's really easy to damage your voice. You know, go to a go to a sports game and and shout for your team, and three minutes in, you're like, <laughs> go, go, and you got no voice, and you wonder where did it go. Or you go to a concert, and you're like, <laughs> and then two minutes later, you you don't have any voice. It's because the vocal cords are really tiny, and they get dry and puffy really easy. Vocal cords are not like big, strong muscles that can handle pressure. They're not very strong at all. And like I said, that you can get your vocal cords red and swollen, a condition called edema. You can do it with one sound, one scream, one shouting. It doesn't take any longer than that. So the, the goal is, is to not strain your vocal cords, to, to, to build the strength of the vocal cords and the muscles that control the vocal cords. And you never lose your voice if you have chest, middle, and head. And you all, you lose your voice all the time if all you're doing is taking chest voice and belting and cramming it up or getting or shouting. So having a going from chest to middle also takes the pressure away from the chest voice and and people don't hurt their voices. This is amazing stuff, guys. If you want to learn more, definitely check out rogerlove.com. So Roger, um, out of all the stuff you've done, because you've had so many awards and so many accolades and just done such a so many things, just such a broad range, what is one of the things that you are most proud of in your career? I am most proud of my children who are young adults. I am most proud of my daughter, Madison Love, who has written, who is one of the top pop songwriters in the world already has 11 and a half billion streams of songs and you know so many songs that my daughter wrote one of her first big hits was a song called sweet but psycho oh she's sweet but a psycho a little bit psycho and then and then other songs like for selena gomez like i'm so rare and it's just song after song after song that that you all know that my daughter did she, my daughter has a song in the barbie movie uh, called uh, Whatever You Want, Baby, Choose Your Fighter. So she writes all these songs and billions of people listen to them. And I couldn't be more prouder of my daughter and my son, who's also following in her footsteps. That is amazing. You guys are one talented family. <laughs> yeah, one, there's a lot of music going on at the house. The thing is, if I try to sing or do any music at the house, they always shush me. And because and they're always because they, they always want to be the ones that are making all the noise. <laughs> it sounds like they're finding their voice to shush you. They, they have definitely found a way to shush me. But I at home, I, I'm a really good listener and I, I talk more during the day at work. <laughs> this is my this is my studio. It's on Sunset Boulevard. Um, 
little piano over there where I teach lessons, but I also do most of my lessons from right here with, with a little keyboard that I have right here. Here's some awards, like I did a TV show called Glee. You're probably too young for that. I did, um, that's the one back there for uh, Star is Born. Below that, John Mayer, one of my students, and lots of, some. sometimes one that sells millions and millions of records. Oh, this is my daughter's first record. That was a song called Bad Things with the Camila Cabello. Am I out of my head? Am I out of my mind? If you only knew the bad things I like. So now I feel like I've brought you into my little studio man cave and uh, come and visit. This is incredible. Thank you for inviting us. And now uh, real quick, the kids want to know how many instruments do you play? Oh, I play piano. My first instrument was voice. Then I, then I studied guitar, and I love playing guitar. Then I started the piano. And so my main instruments are voice, guitar, and piano. But then I learned how to pretend play all the instruments once I started learning how to program synthesizers and, you know, as all the electronic stuff. But my main actual real instruments are piano, guitar, and voice. And voice is the best instrument. And by the way, voice is the most difficult instrument ever to master why because all the other instruments you can see you can touch and your voice you can't see it you can't touch it so you need the right technique to learn how to to learn how to use your instrument and when you can use your instrument you're amazing you're like an amazing instrumentalist because you've learned the hardest instrument second i would think would be violin because the strings are because there's so little difference between this note and that note <laughs> and there's no frets. So those are that that's my feeling. Anytime you sing or speak, realize you're using an incredible instrument and it's like you 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 can't touch it and you can't see it. That makes you even more special. And there are some kids asking about belting, the uh terminology of belting. Is there any uh, appropriate use for that or Yeah. It, you know, I opened up a studio in New York about 30 years ago and and all these Broadway people came in and they were doing what's called a lot of them were doing called belting. Belting means taking your chest voice and bringing it up higher than it goes, like I showed you where, the, you know, all of a sudden you're straining. And that became, that became popular in musical theater and sort of became popular, I guess, in rock and roll. People were just kind of shouting at the top of the range like they were shouting at the moon. And the, the belting is interesting because it has a lot of volume. It's basically just being comfortable here, but then as you get... As you get higher in the range, you get louder and you pretend you only have chest voice and you're trying to squeeze out your chest voice and you're belting. Andy, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow. And by the way, every Annie who ever played on Broadway got nodes and nodules and had to have vo vo voice surgery from belting. Belting is fine and dandy if you're trying to show some emotion, except it hurts the voice. So by, I don't teach belting. What I teach is making your middle voice so strong, so fat, so thick, that you go from chest voice to middle voice and there's no pressure in middle. I mean, listen to, listen to Bruno Mars, you know, listen to Stevie Wonder, listen to, uh, you know, uh, Jennifer Hudson, that's hugely thick on the top part of the range. Listen to Janis Joplin. All of that was in middle. You can build middle so that it's way better than belting chest and middle goes higher and and it's there's no pressure in it so instead of teaching people how to belt i taught them how to do middle and make it still sound like chest voice and then that i was very popular 
in New York doing doing that because I was the only voice teacher, you know, teaching middle voice. The truth is, is that no matter how many books I write, no matter how many programs I put out, 99% of voice teachers all around the world don't even teach middle because they don't know how to do it. So middle is the key, having chest, middle, and head. You can't be a great singer, really, unless you have all the instruments. If you came to me and you said you wanted to be a, a pianist, and I say, I'd say, show me your piano, and you show me your piano, and you only got seven keys. Well, what's the first thing I would do? I try to build all the other keys. I'd be like, you know, there's more. You could have 88 at least keys on your piano. Why don't we build those and then then want to work on being a pianist? So I do the same thing with singing and speaking. Phenomenal advice. And we can't thank you enough for inviting us into your world and spending time with us today. So before we let you go, is there any advice that you could give to these kids as they go off into the world and figure out what they would like to do as someone you're so accomplished? So what advice could you give for them? The reason I've accomplished anything, including being married for 34 years and having kids and having friends is because I use my voice to, to communicate happiness. I use my voice to communicate gratitude. I use my voice to showcase empathy. I found a way of using my voice, speaking and singing to connect me with other people instead of to disconnect me from other people. I'm a really good listener. I listen to other people speaking. I don't butt in. I'm a really good speaker because I have created the sounds of emotion and I emotionally showcase how I feel. I'm authentic because I'm not afraid of showcasing how I feel. When you find your voice, you learn to love your voice and appreciate it being perfectly imperfect. And that once you learn to showcase emotions, then people want to hear your voice. Once you make your voice sing, even if you're just speaking, people want to hear you. And it makes, and, and, and I learned earlier on that my voice is not for me. My voice is a gift. My mouth is here and my ears are here. So my voice isn't for me because the sound I make goes out that way. And my ears are over here, left behind. So my voice is for the people who are in front of me who listen. So voice is a gift that you learn how to use and then you give it away and you make sounds that other people want to hear and you say things that other people want to hear. So it's the connective tissue that creates all communications which lead to relationships. So find your voice, realize it's a gift, showcase happy, showcase grateful, make, this, make those sounds and be a good listener and your voice will allow you to succeed in every conversation, personal or business. It's your voice that sets the tone for the entire conversation and the entire relationship. So tune it, give it away, and realize you're, each of you has a voice and you're a gift. That is amazing advice. Man, I could listen to you all day. I love it. Guys, again, check out rogerlove.com. Thank you guys all for coming. And Roger, before we let you go, before I end the meeting for all, I traditionally <clears throat> allow everyone to unmute. And can we all say thank you to Roger Love for taking the time to spend yes. with you guys. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye.